Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 92. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about first days every day, key responsibility areas, and creating a flourishing school. You know, one of my favorite illustrations of the brain is not from a science magazine. It's from a Mercedes-Benz advertisement, and it's a painting of the brain with the left side showing the scaffolds and numbers and graphs, a sample of analytical thinking. And the right side of the brain is painted with vivid colors and swirls and faces and explosion of creativity. I like to think of that brain illustration when I talk about school leadership because I believe strong leaders must always be using both sides of their brain. You must have strong processes, procedures, and guidelines in place, the left side of the brain, while you also encourage relationships, creativity, and innovation, the right side of the brain. And this week's podcast is a recording of a recent webinar I hosted concerning three topics that focus on creating the processes necessary for students to thrive in school, exercising both sides of your brain. Part one is making every day a first day. Part two is the importance of using key responsibility areas. And part three is helping students to flourish. So I'm going to transition to that recorded webinar now. And if you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all of my posts, podcasts, and my books at my website at williamdparker.com. And I'll come in at the end of the webinar for some closing thoughts. Good morning, friends. Good morning, education leaders and COSA members. Thanks for tuning in for this session of our education leadership webinars. We've been discussing chapters from the book, Principal Matters, the Motivation, Courage, Action, and Teamwork Needed for School Leaders. And this is week six. We're talking about how can we make every day like the first day of school? And we'll talk about why that's important in just a moment. I also want to focus this week on how identifying key responsibility areas for your teachers and staff can be pivotal to making sure that not only are you leading well, but as an organizational leader that your school is set up as successfully as a good classroom. And then finally, I want to talk about the importance of a flourishing school. I want to begin this conversation by asking you to think about the first day of school in your building for just a moment. And I want to give two scenarios as you think about why is it important that every day be viewed through the eyes of a first day of school. And this is why I think it's important. Let me give you an example of a young woman named Jenny. You know, Jenny is a uh, high school junior and my experience has been mostly in high schools. And so I want to just kind of focus there for just a moment. And Jenny is a young woman who uh, she works part-time she uh, saves just enough money up for her for gas so she can get to school. And when school begins for Jenny, she has not really had much time to invest in getting school supplies, picking up her schedule. And so when the first day of school begins for Jenny, she shows up and she feels pretty unprepared. But when she walks into school, uh, not only is she unprepared, but she also encounters an environment that wasn't prepared for her. There's no welcoming signs. There's no way for her to know exactly where to pick up the schedule that she should have come to pick up at schedule pickup. So she wanders into one of the offices and she's directed towards the counseling 
office and she picks, finally picks up a schedule and she heads down to her first class. And when she walks into class, she sits down at a desk and she realizes about 10 minutes into the conversation that she's in the wrong place. And it was difficult for her to figure that out because the teacher had not placed anything on the board indicating his or her name. And as she's looking through the syllabus, she finally realizes that this class is not where she belongs, but now she's too embarrassed to say anything. And so she waits until the very end of the hour. Somehow in this situation, the teacher also hasn't checked schedules, has failed to even go through an attendance roster. And so by the end of that class, Jenny is frustrated, she's upset, and she spends the break between her first and second periods in the bathroom crying. Now, Billy, on the other hand, has a different story. Billy's had an opportunity to go to schedule pickup before schools began. He has a pretty good sense of where his classes are because he's already walked to the school and looked at the school map. He's met his teachers. And when he shows up to his school the first day, even if he had forgotten all of those steps beforehand, there is welcoming signage. There are people there to direct students where to go if they are unsure of what their schedule looks like. Every teacher is standing at their doors to greet students. And as they walk into classes, Billy notices that his first hour teacher has his or her name on the board, identifying the name of the class, the room number, and there's already a folder waiting on Billy's desk with his name on it and an information sheet inside for him to begin some work immediately. And so why do I tell both of these stories? I tell both of these stories because I can remember in my student experience, I actually attended three different high schools when my dad was in the military. And each of those high schools was a different experience. Some of them were experiences where I walked in well-prepared and others I walked in and I was not well-prepared. But the school's preparation made the biggest difference and how my first experience with that school was, and how the rest of my experience was with those schools as well. And so I want to just focus for a little bit on some questions that I think that sometimes we fail to ask ourselves because we're so involved with the work of our schools or the work of our teachers that we often forget to look at it through the fresh eyes of someone new. And sometimes looking at our schools through fresh eyes gives us an opportunity to determine are we perhaps not communicating some important essentials that all students and teachers need to know when they walk in to a school setting? One of my very first superintendents when I became a school assistant principal told me, Will, I want you to think about school leadership in this format. Every setting is like a classroom. It doesn't matter if you're speaking to a board of education, a chamber of commerce. It doesn't matter if you are addressing a school assembly or if you're teaching 25 or 30 kids, if you view every setting as a classroom and organize the processes and the environment like a good classroom, then it doesn't matter how small or large the setting, it will be an effective one. And so I remember that as I was stepping into school admin, because some of the questions that I always asked about my classroom were questions that I think are important to ask about our school buildings as well. And these are questions that I've borrowed from, from one of my favorite classroom teacher resources. And I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Harry Wong. But Harry Wong is one of my favorites in terms of talking about the importance of processes as we're thinking about our classrooms. And I want to talk about these questions first. And then I want to transition to seven other questions for school leaders. But think about these questions for just a moment. Every student, when he or she walks into a room, is asking themselves, am I in the right room? Where am I supposed to sit? 
Who is the teacher as a person? Will the teacher treat me as a human being? What are the rules in this classroom? What will I be doing this year and how will I be graded? But not only are they asking that question the very first day of school, but they're also asking that question every day when they walk in. And so sometimes I think we falsely assume that students understand what is going on in our minds, but we fail to communicate that. And so I think as classroom teachers, first of all, we need to remind ourselves that students need constant and consistent guidance so that every day when they walk in, they know why they're there. They know what the purpose of we as instructors are for being there. They know what processes and policies and rules and expectations are going to be followed every day. They understand the norms for all the activities that we're conducting with them throughout a classroom period. And they understand what the accountability measures will be for their grades or for their behavior. But this doesn't just work for great classrooms. This also is important for school-wide questions as well. And so I think sometimes it's important for us as school leaders to take a step back and ask, how is my entire school organized so that anyone who walks into this place can ask these questions and make sure that they have the right answers, including our teachers? Am I in the right building or area? Where am I supposed to begin my day? Who is my principal as a person? Will this entire staff treat me as a human being? What are the rules of this school? What will I be doing this year? And how will I be held accountable? And it's our responsibilities as school leaders to make sure that we have thought through all of those processes prior to school beginning and that we've thought about those processes every day when we walk into school. I don't know about you, but sometimes the traditional schedules that we've set for our students change depending on the routines or the seasons or the activities that are scheduled for school. And so even though you may have a traditional schedule set for most days of your school year, sometimes you walk in and there may be time for an assembly or time for remediation, or there may be a necessary drill for security or safety. Whatever the changes that are going to be happening that day, it's important for your staff and your students to understand those ahead of time. And one of the number one frustrations that I hear from teachers and educators is feeling like they're uninformed or they're told at the last minute. And although we can't avoid those things, and because flexibility is an important part of being an educator, it's inevitable that we stay flexible. It's also important that we set the expectations for our schools from the beginning. And so I want you to think about the Jennies and the Billies that you're serving in schools. And I want you to think not only about the students, but also the teachers and the staff whom you're serving and ask yourselves the questions, what am I doing to make sure that every day of our school is just like the first day of school, that we're over communicating these expectations? Here's a few other questions to consider as well. Where do people check in when they come into your building? And is there someone there to greet them and give them directions and show them hospitality? Where do kids wait when they start their day? Is there a consistent process and routine for that? Are teachers encouraged to greet students at the door? And as school leaders, are we there greeting students when they come in to our schools? Do we have our handbooks available so that people have copies of our procedures and our processes how would you describe the atmosphere, the environment, and the feeling of your school? All of these things, these procedures, these routines, this culture is affected by how we set the tone and how we anticipated these questions ahead of time. One other thing I'll say about making sure that you're anticipating every day as a first day 
I want to encourage you also to think about how do you plan out your school year in advance so that a lot of these questions are answered long before students or teachers ever arrive. And so that's why I think it's so important, even as you're looking at your school calendar for 1819, that you're already planning out what those events and calendars will look like in advance so that people can plan ahead. Often, I know that as a school leader, we're very guilty of walking into a new school year with all kinds of great ideas, but perhaps we haven't communicated those in advance. And I think it's very safe and wise to start planning at least six months in advance for the initiatives or the changes or the schedules that you're going to be pushing out for a new school year. So I'm not saying any of this to the burden of responsibilities that you have getting ready to go into Thanksgiving, but as you're finishing up first semester, you should already be thinking about not just second semester, but you should be thinking about the 18-19 school year. Part of the practice that I had with my staff was to sit down and think about what are the initiatives that we're working on now that we'll be working on next year as well, and how can we constantly be planning our calendar out at least six months in advance so that people feel informed and prepared for what's coming next. So here's my question. What ways can you rethink your own school's processes? When's the last time that you've looked at your school from the perspective of an outsider? And how well are you communicating through the processes and the routines and the communications coming from your schools, the kinds of processes and routines that you see communicated in a great classroom? I'd love some feedback from you on that question. And if you want to add some ideas or comments to the comment section, you can go to the menu above and uh, you can leave comments there as well. But what are some ways that you can be rethinking your own school processes so that every day can be looked at from the perspective of a first day? The second topic of this week's conversation is about key responsibility areas. And I believe that these two conversations go hand in hand because one of the ways that I've discovered it's important for organizational leaders to be leading schools is by thinking about how do you help others understand the roles and responsibilities that they have as as a a part of your team. There's a great illustration that Mercedes-Benz used a couple of years ago in talking about how our brains work. And I love this illustration because Left brain and right brain divides often place people in two categories. The left brain, scientists will say, is the part of your brain that's most stimulated when you're trying to be analytical, mathematical, when you're categorizing things. It's where most of our logic areas are stimulated in brain activity. But the right side of your brain is the side of your brain that is more creative It's the part of your brain that's exercised when you're trying to use imagination, when you're dreaming, when you're being innovative. And so I believe that sometimes school leaders tend to focus on either one or the other side of the brain in their own leadership style or their own teaching style. And I think it's important as leaders that we encourage creativity and innovation, that we encourage experimentation and design among our students and teachers But I also believe that teachers and educators don't have the room for creativity unless they first created the structure for it. Don't forget that leadership, just like good teaching and learning, uses both sides of the brain. And so as I step into this conversation about key responsibility areas, I'm going to be focusing a little bit on that left side. How do we create the structures with our teams so that we can create the environment so that our students are learning and growing and exploring. 
one of the ways that I've learned to do this is by creating what I call key responsibility areas. In 2012, I transitioned from nine years as an assistant principal to the position of high school principal, where I served for four more years. As I made that transition from assistant to high school principal, I was reading a book over the summer by Dave Ramsey called Entree Leadership. And although it's not an education book, Dave Ramsey's known mostly for his personal finance. This was a book that he had written as a way to encourage business owners how to manage teams in reaching their goals. And I thought this might be an interesting read for me as I'm stepping in, not just as a educational leader, but as an organizational leader. And one of the best takeaways I took from that read was his use with his organization of over 300 employees of what he called KRAs. Now he called them key results areas. Every person that came to work on the Dave Ramsey team was given a KRA list, the responsibilities that they were to manage in their area so that everyone else's jobs could work together for reaching their organizational goals. And I began to look around my school and ask myself the question, if I was to make a KRA for my staff and team, what would that look like? Because frankly, as a classroom instructor that I'd spent 11 years in the classroom, I felt pretty comfortable with the routines and processes and expectations that I had given to my teachers. But at the same time, I often felt like I misunderstood or was unaware of the responsibilities that my counselors were functioning, my paraprofessionals held, my media center specialist held, my admin team members may have needed, and what my own secretaries would be using, or even my custodial staff. And so, so often as school leaders, we have a lot of ideas of what educational instructional leadership looks like, but we may not be necessarily as strong in organizational leadership. I gathered my staff, my non-instructional staff together, and I said, let's have a conversation. I would like for you to help me identify the key responsibility areas that each of you manages. And I want to put together lists so that all of us can share those responsibilities out with one another and so that the rest of our instructional staff knows who do they go to when they need something specific. Now, in the school I was serving at the time, Skytook, we had student population of approximately 750 9th through 12th graders, and we had two separate buildings. And so those buildings were broken into areas. And so I sat down with four office staff that managed two different office areas, and they helped me develop the lists that you're seeing in front of you. My main office staff person, she was responsible for things like help desk items, maintaining a calling tree for employees, contacting the alarm companies whenever we had security drills, helping me maintain a budget list that we communicated back and forth between our superintendent's office, maintaining our Google calendar that we shared out with our staff. Our registrar and counseling staff person helped coordinate all kinds of things, not just managing and helping with progress reports and mailing out report cards, but also things that I did not even realize were on the list. Backpack food coordinating, managing our locker check-ins and checkouts. You can see on these lists that each person managed a specific area that may not have been, that even the rest of the staff may not have been aware of. And by having them create these KRAs, we also identified areas where some of them were managing the same things. So maybe we found duplications of services between people and we needed to identify, well, who's the point person for that? 
Who's the main person responsible? So that if I say suddenly, hey, I need to make sure that we're on track for progress reports, who's my final lead on that initiative? And so by having office staff identify their areas of key responsibilities and where they were supporting the rest of us in our work, we were able to identify before school began where each person's responsibility areas were. This also became helpful throughout the school year. And so instead of stopping when something wasn't happening correctly, we already knew ahead of time who was responsible for each segment of those responsibility areas. This is just a closer snapshot of just one of those person's responsibility areas. But we did the same thing with our counselors too. And one of the wonderful things that our counselors did was they sat down and created a list that was chronological. They wanted to look at their year in terms of calendar. And so they took their entire school year and broke it down by month in terms of the blocks of responsibilities that they were going to be managing that would change month to month because counselors probably have some of the most versatile schedules among team members at our school. And it was very helpful for me to be able to look at their entire school year in blocks so that I knew if I was getting ready to ask them to do something in July or in August, it might be a different request than if I gave it to them in September. And so depending on what their responsibilities were that they were managing already in those months, gave me an idea of areas where they might want to have requests added. This is a close-up snapshot of just February, March, and April. And you can see, I'm sure these have some similarities with the ways counselors operate in all 9 through 12 schools. And we probably have some unique things that we were doing at my school that aren't happening at others. But as my staff was identifying the areas that they had key responsibilities, then each of us was aware of what the others were uh, managing. We did the same thing with my admin team. I was the, at that time, the site principal. I had an assistant principal who was also an athletic director. And then I had an assistant principal who was also a district test coordinator. So we wore a lot of hats. And so we sat down and wrote out what are the areas that all of us manage consistently among the three of us? And then what are the areas that each of us manages individually so that we knew going into each school year who is responsible for which state reports, who is responsible for uh, the drug testing that our athletes did, who is responsible for specific data teams. And so managing these things on the front end helped us to manage well throughout the school year. We not only did this for our office staff, we also did this for our paraprofessionals. We did this for a media center assistant when we were able to add a position and so as we would add new positions or we had the opportunity to change positions, and of course with budget cuts, sometimes we lost positions, we were able to, to manage and reconfigure key responsibility areas so that people knew these are the things that come with the territory that I manage. Here's the question that I have for you this week on key responsibility areas. Where are areas within your own school or within your own management where roles could be better defined? What are some areas within your own management where roles could be better defined? And if you want to see copies of those uh, slides that I showed you earlier, I will link a recording of this webinar and I'll link a PDF copy of today's slides there as well. And if you want to see other examples, feel free to email me and I'll send you um, some samples. I can even send you some of the Google Docs that we've used. One of the advantages that we found in taking those KRAs and putting them into Google Docs was that they were easy to edit throughout the school year. And at the end of every school year, we would sit down as a staff and go back through them 
and ask, okay, which are the areas that you were able to manage well? What are some areas that need to be either edited from your list? Maybe some areas that we're no longer needing to manage that can be removed. Or if we hired a new staff person, they could see the list from the previous person that filled that position so that they knew that was going to be their areas of responsibility to be managing when they stepped into. Today's webinar is a 30-minute session, so we're already coming up to the just the very last part. I want to finish today's conversation with a story, and I um, hopefully to encourage you as you're going into your Thanksgiving break. And I just want to remind you that the work that you're doing, whether it's in creating the best atmosphere for learning or managing those organizational leadership areas that you manage, you're also, at the end of the day, trying to create an environment where students can grow and where students can flourish. And I can remember a young woman who came to see me a couple of years ago during the middle of a semester. And she came to ask me what the possibility was of getting a schedule change, even though we were halfway through the semester. And I sat down with her and asked her, tell me what class you're struggling in. Well, she was struggling in high school trigonometry. And I was a little intimidated for her because I can, this girl was a junior at the time. And I can remember when she was a high school freshman, when she'd come to our school, we had identified that she had been struggling as a middle schooler. We had placed her on a mentor team because she was frankly an at-risk student. And we had helped her figure out her freshman year, what were some of the goals that she wanted to set for her sophomore, junior, and senior year. One of those was taking her to a tour of our Tulsa Technology Center near our school because career tech had an option of a dental assistant class that she was interested in. And when she set the goal that she wanted to enter that dental program at the career tech, then she had some ideas of why she was wanting to reach the goals with her grades and attendance and behavior that would help her reach the goal of entering that program her junior year. So as this young lady sat down with me and we began to talk about the class she was struggling in, I asked her if she was going in for extra help before school. She said yes. I asked her if she was able to meet with other students that could collaborate with her on her on her homework, and she said yes. And frankly, I was beginning to panic because I was thinking maybe she's taking a math that's a little too difficult for her because she's struggling so much. When I finally pulled up her grades, and I realized her definition of struggle was she was making a solid B in trigonometry. And I stopped for a second and said, listen, can you reflect with me for just a moment? Do you remember when you came to our school as a freshman and you had failed a lot of classes coming out of middle school? And do you remember how much of a struggle it was your freshman year to start getting your grades in order? And I'm looking at your grade in trigonometry and you're making a solid B. In fact, you're making A's and B's in every one of your classes. So can we just stop for a moment and celebrate? And suddenly there was this look of like relief on her face when she realized that her stress about her grade was with the perspective that she was thinking that the only way she could be truly successful if she was making all A's. And so as we talked about her history, as we looked back at her school years, as we thought about how far she had come, suddenly, instead of being stressed, we began to celebrate. And as we walked out of that conversation together, it was with high fives and encouragement and follow up with her teacher so that she could continue to get the supports that she needed and so that she could accept the fact that sometimes even a B or a C when you're working hard is success. And so I wanted to end today's conversation by asking you some questions as you're thinking about how are you helping your students to stay planted, growing, and flourishing? And so here are some questions that 
I think are important to reflect on when it comes to helping our students flourish. What are the processes that you have in place for identifying your students with the greatest needs? Because I think that often it's easy for us to create the structure of school and have students fall through the cracks. What are the systems that you have for guiding or mentoring these students? Our school set up a system that we called Mentor 180, where we would identify at-risk kids and partner them with a teacher, a volunteer teacher, a volunteer older student, and we would have weekly grade meetings with those teams so that they could, in communication with parents, look at those students' progress and at least provide guidance and mentoring through that first year of high school. The next question, what outside resources are available for more support? Sometimes there are some amazing resources that can be connected to your school, whether that's your career tech centers or whether that's area counselors who want to come in and help provide support to students or whether that's people within your own building who are great at not only instruction, but at coaching students in life and career choices too. And the finally, the last question is, how are you celebrating success to create positive momentum? Because as you see students who are planting and who are growing and who are flourishing, it's often easy to forget that they're there because so often as principals, we're managing the worst case scenarios. And so as you see a student who's being successful, pause for a moment to celebrate with them, high five with them, and then share out that information with your teachers and your communities and with others so that they can celebrate with you when you see students who flourish. And so as we end today's conversation, let me just end with this question. What is one area of flourishing happening right now in your school that you can be celebrating? Because I think it's important to pause for just a moment and to ask yourself the question, what, even though you know that there's areas in your school that need improvement, even though you know that there's areas in your school that are going to require your leadership and your courage to see change. The big question today is, where is an area in your school that you're seeing flourish? Maybe that's an amazing superstar teacher that you have right down the hallway. Or maybe that's a kid who you knew was struggling before, but now is doing well. Or maybe it's a student who has always done well, but they're growing even more in their experience that they're having at your school right now. How are you seeing them flourish? And then as you identify that area where you see somebody flourishing, now reach out to them and let them know it, whether that's through a kudos email or a stop by their classroom or pulling a kid in for a photo that you're going to share out with parents or sending out a newsletter to your community to let them know the flourishing that's happening in your schools. If we're not celebrating those moments for our teams, then we're losing an opportunity to be their greatest cheerleaders and to encourage them that what they do matters. So let's wrap this up. As you think this week about your schools in terms of how do we make every day like a first day? How do we create key responsibilities for our staff so that everyone knows what their roles and responsibilities are? And how do we encourage growth and flourishing among our students and teachers? You and I will never do these things perfectly. But as we reflect on these areas where we need to grow, and as we take actions towards ways that we can improve on them, then we are providing the kinds of service to our students and our teachers that they deserve because they deserve to have schools that are celebrating their success. You know, if brain research tells us that the left side of our brain is where we analyze, strategize, and calculate, and the right side of our brain is where we can be innovative, creative, and passionate, then strong leadership requires us to use both sides of our brain, remembering that we'll never do it perfectly. 
But when we can make every day like a first day for our students and teachers, identify key responsibility areas for them, and then help assess where we can help all students thrive, then we're creating the kinds of environments where students can grow and learn and thrive. What is one step that you can take right now in looking at your school from the perspective of an outsider? What is a conversation that you can be having with a team member about a key responsibility area? And what is one way that you can follow up with students who may need stronger supports? I know that you're doing that now, and I just want to encourage you in the work that you're doing to continue to serve with courage and passion, because what you do matters. And I look forward to talking to you next time.